Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Barner, owner of Buyer's Meeting Point and the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. Each week, my business history co-host, Scott Luton, and I travel back through time to bring you the best business stories, innovations, people, and surprising facts, some of which you have probably heard of before and others of which are on the verge of being forgotten. If you enjoy our unique blend of storytelling and business history, Take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us, and we love hearing from our listeners. In this week's episode, I would like to take you back to March of 1857. We're standing together in front of a large commercial loft building, the E.V. Howard Building in Manhattan, in the modern-day neighborhood of Soho. The building, built in 1857, houses Eater v. Howout's Emporium. It sells imported cut glass and silverware, as well as their own hand-painted china and fancy chandeliers. Their clientele is wealthy, so please be on your best behavior while we're here. We're at the corner of Broom Street and Broadway, which means that the building has a cast iron facade on two sides instead of just one like some of its neighbors. And while this isn't why we're making the visit, this building is considered by some to be the first skyscraper and the most important cast iron structure ever built. There is a lot of architectural history happening on this spot. Today though, we're here for another innovation, one that's on the inside. Let's go see. This building contained the world's first successful passenger elevator installed on March 23, 1857. The hydraulic lift was designed for the building by Elisha Graves Otis, founder of the Otis Elevator Company, which is still very large and in business today. The original elevator cost $300, and it could travel about 40 feet per minute. Compare that to a range of 100 to 200 feet per minute for conventional passenger elevators today. The 1857 model was powered by a steam engine installed in the basement. The building had five stories and was not considered particularly tall even in 1857. There wasn't really a need for an elevator, but Howard had a hunch that people would come to his store just to see the new fangled contraption and they might spend some money while they were there. In other words, the world's first passenger elevator was a sales gimmick. This isn't the last one of those you'll hear about in this podcast either. 
Like all inventions, elevators did exist prior to March 23, 1857, but not in nearly the same form. The precursor, called a hoisting elevator, was just a platform that was raised and lowered using manpower. They were incredibly dangerous, and their cords snapped easily and often. Even the manual operation presented a safety challenge. Bells and other sound makers were used to signal when the platform should be raised or lowered, and so accidents happened all the time, just because of miscommunications. And the problem extended beyond confusion, too. Passenger elevators installed in England in the 1830s and in America in the 1840s used ropes that were made of hemp. It was not uncommon for them to break and kill multiple passengers at a time. In 1852, the hemp ropes were replaced with wires, but there was still concern around what would happen if a wire broke when the elevator was on an upper floor. Elisha Otis addressed this concern by inventing a safety brake that would prevent the elevator and its cargo, human or otherwise, from plummeting to the ground. Despite the progress this represented, no one knew about it, and so he sold only three in his first year. Not exactly a banner start. He needed, yes, you guessed it, a sales gimmick. As was so common in the late 19th century, showmanship was his answer. Otis demonstrated how his new invention worked at America's first World's Fair at the Crystal Palace in New York City. He rode an elevator platform that had been installed expressly for the purpose, 50 feet into the air, over a crowd of curious onlookers, and then he ordered the rope cut. Keep in mind that this was not your typical safety demonstration. This was intended to create a spectacle. So the rope wasn't just cut. One of Otis's assistants chopped through it with an ax. To everyone who was there, it looked like certain suicide. And then the safety brake stopped the elevator just a couple of feet below where it had been. The crowd cheered, partially in excitement and partially out of relief, I'm sure. Elevators quickly became as refined as anything else at that time. Here's a description of our elevator that appeared in the New York Tribune when the Howard Emporium first opened. Among the novelties we noticed is an elevator to be worked by steam which is to be furnished with a sofa and carriage to carry ladies from one floor to the other. The steam engine and boiler are located on the rear lot disconnected from the main edifice. In other words, the upscale clientele of Howitz Emporium were spared the noise and heat of the steam engine. That original elevator has since been removed, but it had a really good run. Considering this was the first of its kind, it stayed in place until the 1890s. That replacement held in until 2001, when a modern elevator was installed. Elisha Otis didn't outlive the installation of the new elevator by much. He passed away in 1861, but don't worry, it wasn't an elevator accident. He contracted diphtheria, an airborne infection that we have since conquered with a standard vaccine but his sons, Charles and Norton, formed a partnership and continued his business. The American Civil War proved to be a boom time for them, as Otis elevators were in high demand because they could help speed up the movement, storage, and retrieval of war materials. And they weren't done innovating either.
1925, the world's first fully automatic elevator, not requiring an operator or a guy with a hemp rope, was introduced. They called it the collective control. And in 1931, the company installed the world's first double-decker elevator in New York City. Double-deck elevators are used to increase capacity without increasing the use of interior space for elevators. They can be set up in a couple of different ways. When the focus is passenger space, one of the elevator cars can serve even floors while the other serves odd floors. In other cases, the second elevator car is used for cargo. Otis's company even contribute to advancements in a device that you might think of as an elevator's primary competitor, the escalator. That term was coined by an Otis Elevator Company employee who used it to refer to continuous loop moving staircases that could either ascend or descend. Elisha Otis hadn't just solved a safety problem or invented a new device. He had given birth to a whole new industry. Even with the halts in new construction due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the elevator industry is expected to grow to $114 billion worldwide by 2026. Today, the world's tallest building, built in 2009, has 163 floors and is serviced by Otis Elevators. As you would expect, many of the most recent elevator inventions are digital in nature. The Internet of Things has made it possible to increase the efficiency of elevator operation and maintenance. Microsoft has an operating system called Max that provides real-time feedback from elevators to service technicians. This gives the technicians predictive insight into which parts will need to be repaired or replaced, allowing them to do the work before the elevator breaks down and reducing the out-of-service time that currently slows down many elevator systems. The Schindler Translit Management Group designed an app called MyPort that increases the interactivity between a building with elevators in it and the person riding. Users can set their destination and travel preferences in advance, hailing an elevator an awful lot like an Uber or a Lyft ride. They have also invested in safety features, such as only allowing people who have access to the building to get into the elevator and operate it. There is actually a community of YouTubers that delight in filming every detail of every elevator ride they take. They capture everything from the buttons to the door movement and the interior of the car. Check that out the next time you need something to help lull you to sleep. Me? I can't seem to step into an elevator without a fight breaking out between my kids, between who's going to push the button on the way up, followed by a negotiation for who will push the buttons on the way back down. I have three kids, so usually I get them to settle on one person pushes the button to call the elevator, one selects the floor to go up, and the last one selects the floor to go back down. I can't tell you how many carefully negotiated treaties have been disrupted by other people who want to ride the elevator as well, but they don't happen to be privy to our arrangements. My favorite elevator though? That's easy. The Wonkavator from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. As we learned in the 1971 movie based on a book by Road Dahl, elevators only go up. The Wonkavator goes up, down, sideways, and every other which way you can think of going. It sounded like complete fantasy, and it was. 
until 2017 when Thyssen Krupp introduced their Multi, a ropeless lift that can move vertically, side to side, and diagonally using the same magnetic levitation technology that Japan's bullet train does. It works by riding an electromagnetic field along a series of tracks inside the building. This new elevator will cost up to five times as much as a standard elevator system, but they claim it could ultimately save money by using smart technology to optimize operation and by allowing the space required by conventional elevator shafts to be repurposed. I still think five times is a hard sell. It seems to me that they may need to learn their business history and employ a sales gimmick. Hopefully though, it doesn't need to involve an ax. On that note, it's time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from, and be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.